I sent out some polls. If you're not on the group me, jump in, get on the group me. But I wanted to go over those for a second. However, go ahead and turn to, uh, to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to start by looking a little bit in, uh, we're going to look in a couple of different places. But the idea of the next two weeks, this week we're going to look at the gospel costs. And it does. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a free gift that will also cost you everything. Next week, we're going to look at the gospel blues. And so this week, we're going to see Elijah and how he, he is calling everyone to full-on follow God. We're going to look at Christ gives the same call to follow him. And, uh, and then next week, we're going to see, look, sometimes in the spiritual journey, you do hit deep lows, lows that are really, really hard to get out of. In fact, sometimes we hit lows, and we would call those depression in today's world. But sometimes we hit lows that are so deep there is not a human way out of those lows. And it's really incredible as we hear the story of Elijah tonight to then next week see, okay, he had this mountaintop experience in one chapter. You flip to the very next chapter and you see Elijah at his lowest moment. I think as we look at the idea of Elijah in light of the polls that I sent, in light of some of the news that's come out from different churches and political movements, all kinds of different stuff. I think what we have to ask is, look, it seems like back in maybe 40 years ago, most churches, if you ask them what is the gospel, they would give a fairly similar answer. Today, if you just went around the city of Atlanta and asked 10 different churches, what is the gospel, you might get 10 different answers. And so I think we have to ask, is the gospel of Jesus Christ changing or is the landscape of Christianity changing? And so that's why I sent the questions that I sent. I'm not going to put them up on the screen, but here's the Here's the questions. One is the Bible I asked. If you, if you are on the group, you, can, you feel free to look at these. The, the voting has ended, 203 votes. The Bible, there is no right way to interpret the Bible. It can be read and interpreted many ways. Example, Adam and Eve can be real or a metaphor. Well, I would say, and so would all of the church fathers throughout history, there is actually one way to read this book. And there is one interpretation, but there are many applications. So when we're talking about this book, there's one way to read it, one interpretation, but many applications. The church fathers all throughout history, earliest writings that we have would come from the second century, all began to affirm the same basic tenets of the faith. And they would say something that maybe we don't say today very much. They would say words matter and words have definite meanings. Today, it means what it means to me and it may not mean what it means to you. But that doesn't mean that gravity stopped working. It just means we've changed the way we think about things. So I would say the Bible definitely has one way to be read and one way to be interpreted. Sexuality, I believe God is love and when humans love each other, it reflects God's love. I support people regardless of who they love romantically. Well, most people said, you know, hey, I, I don't know that that's accurate, but several people said, I think that is accurate. Here's the deal. So a lot of people are were thinking, okay, you're talking about homosexuality, same-sex attraction, those kinds of things. What if I was talking about a 40-year-old and a 14-year-old? Is that love okay? 
Well, most of you would say, no, that love is not okay. That's like, that, that's, that's a big deal. But if we're talking about two women or two men or some combination of the binaries that go on, like we might, we might say, oh, well, that, that's okay. I love and support them even if I don't love what they're doing. And I think what we have to say is, okay, what's influencing my thought? Is it coming from the foundations of the faith or is it coming from influences of culture? Because here's the foundation of the faith. The foundation of the faith is God created a perfect order he created a completely perfect order. Adam and Eve were in that order. He made that order out of chaos to order. The spirit of the Lord hovered over the deep. The earth was formless and void and God began to speak and more and more things came together. And then as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they stepped out of that order. The order was then broken. And so lots of things that are common in today's world that we have accepted and said, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, are all a part of that brokenness. The brokenness has become so common that it seems natural. The problem is when we start to affirm all the brokenness, we actually dilute the cross because the cross was set up. Jesus came to earth to restore the order. The only way the order is truly restored, the only way to really love someone is to lovingly and truthfully point out how they are outside of the order of God. To love someone outside of the order of God and to leave them outside of the order of God is actually the opposite of loving a person. Now, we'll move on. Salvation. This was interesting. We had salvation and the cross, and you had different thoughts on that. So salvation. Salvation. God saves people who believe in Jesus, but I have a hard time believing eventually everyone won't be saved and with God in heaven. Most of you said, I, I disagree with that, but several of you said, I agree with that. That idea is called universalism. Universalism is when we die, we all somehow or another end up with God in heaven because God is love. And if God is love, no one could go to hell. Or there's an innocent person, typically we go to a continent we've never been to, and a country that maybe we don't really quite remember the name and we're like, what about so-and-so who would live in this country? And we create a person who is wholly innocent. If that person was wholly innocent, then they would go to heaven. They would have no need of the salvation of Christ. But there is no one who is wholly innocent. We are all sinful and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, can God redeem those people? Muslims have dreams. There's things that happen in countries that are closed to the gospel. Like the Lord has redeemed a lot of people that we just wonder how in the world did that ever happen? But if, that, if everyone just ended up in heaven because God is just so friendly, well, it actually goes against the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit where Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. Therefore, no one will depart from the Father without a rejection of him. How the Lord works all that out in his economy, I'm not quite sure, but I promise you this. There are no innocent people eternally separated from God in hell. You can be certain of that. The Lord is always good and he is always just. Now, when it comes to the cross, the cross, God did not need to kill his son for our sins. People killed Jesus and his example on the cross is our example of forgiveness. This is a highly progressive church mindset. The progressive church has said the idea of substitutionary atonement is barbaric. The thought of God 
killing his son for people is no different than him being some foreign god, some Greek or Roman god who's just angry and must have blood and so therefore sacrifices his own son. So people have done away with the idea of substitutionary atonement in a lot of churches, a lot of so-called Christian churches. And so what happens is you get Jesus going to the cross and he dies by the hands of people, because people killed him, his father is wringing his hands in heaven, just so sad that this is happening because his son is just dying at the hands of these people. And what Jesus went through, we should exhibit to others. That's a nice fairy tale, but it holds no water. And if that had been the original gospel, Christianity would have died probably 40 years after Jesus was gone. The real gospel, again, goes back to the idea that God is holy. God is altogether lovely. He is altogether worthy. And we are sinful and separated from him. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son to substitute for us by sending him to the cross in the garden Jesus prays, Father, take this cup from me, but for this hour I have come. Jesus knew he was going to the cross, willfully went to the cross. It was our sins that killed him. And yes, God used people to actually put the nails in his hand and put the sword through his side, but it was our sins that held him there, as the song says. And therefore, God's wrath was poured out on his son and we have been spared. And there is nothing more gracious or sacrificial or powerful that should bend our knees than that. And therefore, one day, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, whether they are destined for eternal separation or eternally being gathered with him. And so I think that as we look, is the gospel of Jesus Christ changing? I think we have to begin to think, is the gospel of Jesus Christ changing or is the landscape of Christian culture changing? And I think that's what we're going to see is that the landscape of Christian culture is changing. So let's, uh, let's take a look at two different passages. One, 1 Kings chapter 18. I figured that would take the longest to find. Put your Bible marker or your tab or your finger there and flip over. If you have a paper Bible, flip over to John chapter 6. John 6, we're going to look at verses 66 through 68. If anybody came up through the Catholic tradition, the John 6 is a really, really influential chapter in the Catholic tradition because it's the chapter where Jesus says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to partake with me. And so the idea that when the Lord's Supper is passed around, the idea of transubstantiation comes where the, the bread, if you're not Catholic, who's not Catholic and has been to a Catholic wedding? Okay, you were not allowed to take communion, correct? The reason you couldn't take communion is because you weren't confirmed in the Catholic Church and therefore you were not able to partake of what they believe physically becomes the flesh of Jesus when the bread is passed out and physically becomes his wine or the wine becomes his blood. And so they believe that Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. This is how it happens. In the Reformed tradition, which we're in, we don't, we don't subscribe, subscribe to that, but it comes from this chapter. Jesus has just told a big crowd of people, if you want to follow me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, you can imagine the church service ended early and a lot of people left. Now, here's the verses. 
Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask that you would help us tonight to see that there is an internal battle in the church for what is truth, as well as a cultural battle for what is truth. And Lord, I thank you for the way that Jesus challenged his disciples to either stay or go. And Lord, I thank you that Elijah, who was a forerunner to Christ, who magnified Christ, also challenged the people to either stay or go. Lord, we know the road is narrow. Help us to see it and to follow you on it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you don't have to turn here, but in Matthew 16, Jesus did what a lot of you have done. A lot of you at some point in your life, maybe even today, asked somebody, like, hey, what does is, what is so-and-so think about me? You probably did that. It probably started in middle school, and uh, it was probably like maybe that girl or that guy, like, hey, what does so-and-so think about me? And we still do that. We do that all the time. That's why political folks have people who run their polls all the time, like, what are they thinking about me? What are they thinking about me? Well, Jesus asked the question in Matthew 16, and the disciples said, oh, I'll tell you what they think. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah. Others say that you're like one of the prophets. And so what does it mean that Jesus would be compared to Elijah? Now, Elijah's only written about in like a couple of chapters of the whole Bible, but he's considered one of the greatest prophets of all time. He's only got a couple of chapters. One's like a super high moment. One's a super low moment. But to this day, there are Jewish rabbis that have said he has appeared to them. In the book of Matthew, the transfiguration, who appears? Elijah and Moses are there. Elijah is, in fact, when you read, Jesus says, uh, uh, the Moses and the prophets, or Moses and Elijah are contained in these. Elijah represents all the other books in the Old Testament, and Moses represents the first five. And so Elijah gets like a ton of press. And so when they said, Jesus, some people say you're like Elijah, that's a big deal. There's one other character in the New Testament who got compared to Elijah, and his name is John the Baptist. We know John the Baptist was a crazy man. John the Baptist found out the king was hooking up with a woman that he shouldn't have been hooking up with, and so John the Baptist went to the king and was like, what's wrong with you, man? And they killed him. And so like, he also ate like locusts and honey and uh, wore camel's hair clothing before it was cool. Like he, he was like, I mean, John the Baptist was a wild man. And so they said, John the Baptist must be Elijah. And Jesus said, he is, but he's not. And it's very mysterious how he talked about him. And so you're like, what is happening? Like who, why, why? There's this idea of the spirit of Elijah. When you look in the book of Revelation, it looks like Elijah may come back and be one of the two prophets who's walking around on earth. It's a, it's a fascinating thing, like Elijah is super mysterious. He never dies. He's caught up in a chariot of fire and carried off into heaven. Not a bad way to go. And so like, I mean, that's very memorable. Uh, 
I mean, in some ways, he still hasn't died. The, the prophet, um, the modern-day prophet, Macklemore, said there is, there, there is once when you die and once when they never mention your name again. That's when you really die. Well, we're still mentioning Elijah's name. So, like, the fact that they said, hey, he is, uh, he, he is like Elijah, that's a big deal. So, let's go back and let's see what it is about Elijah that they might have said, man, Jesus, you're like him. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah, what a character. He, uh, just a little background, starting in chapter uh, 16 and in 17, he, he basically says, I'm going to pray for it to stop raining. And so he does. He prays for it to quit raining to the point that James in chapter, James chapter 5 says, Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed for it not to rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. So if you follow Cassidy, you'll learn to pray those prayers. Uh, and so, like, I mean, like, this guy, Elijah, what a mystery. He is fascinating. He prays for it to not rain for three years. It doesn't rain for three or three and a half. It doesn't rain the whole time. The reason is because the king, King Ahab, who's married to a woman you may know, her name is Jezebel. And so that this Jezebel, not a good lady, he married her. She did the same thing to him that Solomon had happened to all his wives. And, uh, and so she drug him away and he started worshiping Baal. Uh, Baal's an interesting character. Baal is like the God of rain. He's the God of thunder. He's this very interesting God. Baal has a wife. His name or her name is Asherah. And so he starts worshiping Baal and Asherah. And all the Israelites are like, hey, we'll start worshiping that God too. And so Elijah prays for it to stop raining, for it to get people's attention. Hey, you have broken away from God, so God's going to break something in your system. Side note, like first little teaching moment. If, you're lo if you wonder sometimes, like, why does this thing keep breaking? Why does this thing keep happening? Just a chance. It could be that the Lord is letting that thing break in your life. He is cutting the rain off in order to get your attention. That's not always the case, but it never hurts to say, Lord, are you trying to get my attention? Why won't this thing work out? So it doesn't rain for three and a half years. And the people, however, do not come back to God during this time. They go further and further and further towards Baal and Asherah. So now we enter chapter 18. The first few verses, it says this, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab. So God tells Elijah, go show yourself to the king. Now the king certainly wanted to kill Elijah because the king knew because of Elijah that it had stopped raining. Uh, by the way, I meant, sat I meant satirically that like the woman made him worship the other gods. That is, I didn't really, like he chose it, okay? Don't, don't please don't be offended. She didn't, she didn't make him, he just did it. Um, he just used her as a scapegoat for that. And so he, uh, he, he, God tells him to go to, uh, to Ahab, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab, call, Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household, 
Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the land, Obadiah took a hundred prophets, hid them in fifties in caves. I'm going to just pause right here. I'm going to fast forward and tell you what happened. So there's this guy, Obadiah. Obadiah is one of the few godly guys left, but he works for King Ahab. Now, some of you are like, oh, that's my boss. I'm going to nickname my boss Ahab. And so like, he's the godly guy working for Ahab. He's, he's afraid, like, I know I'm supposed to do my job well. I can do my job well and still be godly, but this guy's terrible. And so Ahab or Obadiah on the side was like, hey, I know some of you still love God and you don't love Baal and Asherah. Let me hide you. And so he hid them in caves. He didn't have a barn. And so he brought them like to the caves and he hid them. He hid them in the caves and he fed them bread and water. So for years, this guy was like, cutting out sleep, doing whatever it took to take care of the people of God. However, second little teaching moment here, lots of the prophets died. Jezebel had a lot of the prophets killed. I think we think sometimes we can escape the, the storm that is coming towards believers and the storm that is here if you're a follower of Christ. But that will not be the case for everyone. Some people will lose their jobs because of a call to Christ. Some people will lose connection with family members and some will be spared. Your comfort is in Hebrews 11, where it says that there were many though, it gives the whole list of the heroes of the faith, but then at the very end it says, but there were many who went about in sheepskin and sheep's clothing and were destitute. Some were sawn in half for their faith. And then I love the way the writer of Hebrews wraps this up. He says, those of whom the world was not worthy. If the Lord chooses you to be one of those people that suffers under the hand of Christian oppression, may you be counted worthy for that suffering because apparently the rest of the folks just weren't picked. So, this guy... Obadiah, great guy. In verse seven, they're going to meet each other. And Obadiah's like, whoa, is that you, Elijah? Elijah says to him, it's me. I'm supposed to meet with King Ahab. Can you arrange that? Obadiah says, no, no, no. I know about you, Elijah. The spirit of God will pick you up and move you and I will never see you again. This guy had a reputation, like when, like the Lord did some serious hocus pocus with him. And so he's like, no, 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 I promise I'll stay put. And Obadiah like objects and says, please don't make me do this. He's going to kill me if I go to him, but he does. So Obadiah sets up a meeting for Elijah and Ahab. Let's fast forward to that meeting. Now let's go to verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, it is you, you troubler of Israel. This will be my next little teaching moment. I believe the world and the progressive church. Let's let my right hand be the world and the progressive church, which is a counterfeit gospel, be my left. I believe both of those places are going to look at the real followers of Jesus Christ and say exactly this line to those people. Look at the line again. It is you, you troubler of Israel. It is you, you troubler of the church. It is you, you troubler of society. 
Remember the picture of God creating order out of chaos and when we sinned, we broke away and then God brings us back in through Christ and our job is to help reconcile folks to God, bringing them back into the order so they have a right relationship. People have gotten so used to the order being broken that when you are trying to live out a loving, loyal relationship to Christ and the people of God and the people of this world, it will feel combative and raw and wrong and people are going to look and they're going to say, you're the problem. If you just be quiet, everybody would get along. But Elijah did not lose his wit. And in verse 18, he says, I haven't troubled Israel. You have troubled them and your father's house because you abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you followed the Baals. Now, therefore, Send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Remember, when the pressure comes, whether it's the world or the apostate church, and you are not being anything but gently and faithfully and lovingly obedient to the Lord, but it seems to stir stuff up. When they point the finger and say, you are the troubler, just know in your heart and maybe say with your lips, no, it's actually you. You're actually, you're actually the one troubling because you've forsaken the way that God had designed and you're doing your own thing and it's broken and you're making things more broken. And so, this is where Elijah really gets his reputation. So here's what happens. There's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. That's 850. If you're, um, if you're math inclined like me, that's 850. Uh, and so they all get together and they go to Mount Carmel. And now Mount Carmel is five miles up. You need to know that. So he says, let's meet. They all meet. 850 like people that are worshiping the false god. Elijah by himself, so 850 to one odds, and he says, let's go up on the mountain. And so the people, it must have been like, I don't know, Thursday or something, they were just tired. They were like, let's all go. What else do we have to do? It's not raining, so we can't really farm. And so they all go up too. It's a crowded little circle. There's a bunch of Israelites. There's the 850 prophets, Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah, little Elijah, little alone Elijah. And so, but that's okay, because we know he's a wild man. And so Elijah, uh, so Ahab, verse 20, so Ahab sent all the people of Israel. He gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel and Elijah came near to all the people. Look, this is a cage match now, all right? This is, this is like no holds barred. Elijah's like pacing. I've been on Mount Carmel. It's a pretty incredible place. And so that like the top of it's not that big, but it's kind of slopey on the sides, but it's a flat top mountain. Um, a couple of you have been on Mount Carmel with us. And yes. Yes, it's a great place. Okay, so anyway, yeah, so it's great, isn't it? Yes, yes. Okay, you can talk to Lainey and Ariana. I think they're the two that have been, yeah, it's great. So, um, so they're up on Mount Carmel. It's a flat top mountain with side slopes. And so he's walking and he goes over to the, to the Jewish people and he says, hey, and they're like, whoa, he's talking to us. And he calls them out and here's what he says. He says, how long are you gonna go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. And 
the people did not answer him a word. Yeah, you don't talk back to Elijah. And so the people, like, they were like, oh, man, now this is interesting. God's breaking the rain spell right after this. The people's hearts must have eventually began to soften and say, man, something's broken. The longer we pursue Baal, the more broken it seems. Maybe something's up. Elijah is the voice of truth. People need a voice of truth. They need a loving voice. They need an encouraging voice, but they need a voice of truth. Elijah makes things true. He just points them out. He's like, hey, if it's God, it's God. If it's Baal, it's Baal. But what he says is, you're limping. You think you're living, you think you're walking, going back and forth between the two, just picking the God of the day? No, he's not shoes. You, you don't pick him, which one you want for the day. Like you pick him or you pick Baal. And the people hear the truth for the first time. And so then he lays down the gauntlet. If you know this story, it's, it doesn't get bad. It just gets better and better every time I study it. So just humor me and follow along. He says in verse 22, I, even only I am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put it on the fire, and I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood, put it to the fire. You call in the name of your God and I'll call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, it is well spoken. They didn't use a lot of words apparently. Uh, like, yeah, it sounds like a great day. Like that's a picnic there. Like you are not leaving. And so the, the gauntlet has been laid and today is the day they're gonna pick the real God or Baal, but they're gonna pick. Elijah's tired of the wishy-washy. And so uh, they, they pick, uh, you choose yourselves one bull, prepare it, blah, blah, verse 26. They took the bull that was given them. They prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, I love this. I have verse 27 circled in my Bible. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. It is a one to 850. What's wrong with him? Like Elijah's like, Hey, guys, and I love, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what he says. He says, hey, cry out louder, for he's a God. Either he is musing or relieving himself. Yeah, he says in plain English, he says, maybe your God's taking a nap and he can't hear you, or he's in the John. Like, I don't know which one, but maybe call a little louder. No, that's just got to make him angry. Elijah's a wild man. And so... <clears throat> They cry out louder and, uh, and then they cut themselves, time out. That means they had knives. It's one against 850 and they had knives. He's a wild man. And so at noon, they did all this. They begin cutting themselves, they cry out loud. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering. That's about 3 p.m of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. I love that the biblical author included that no one paid attention. Even Satan himself was shut up from this argument. And so Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes, the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came. And I wonder if he was putting those 12 stones around the altar, if some of those Jewish people's hearts began to be stirred and they were like, that's the tribe of Benjamin, that's us. 
oh, that's our tribe, that's us. And you begin to remember your heritage and you, remember, you begin to remember what God has done for you and you, you begin to recall the stories. Israel shall be your name, verse 32. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in the order, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said to them, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, this is again right at 3 p.m., Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And you can just imagine the people are going, that's what I'm talking about. Like this was a big moment here. The other folks are just laying around bleeding. And so like this, the whole thing, it just gets dissolved. The wood, the stone, the bull, the water, it's all licked up. And Elijah turns and says, get them. I like this. That's what I'm talking about. And so Elijah turns and says, get him. And the 450 prophets of Baal are chased down the mountain. They are taken to a brook and they are killed because their hearts had not turned back. But Elijah's prayer, do you remember his prayer? Go back and look. Look at verse 37. It's not, I want to prove them wrong. It's not, I want to show these people that I follow God and they don't know him. The prayer of Elijah is this. The prayer of Elijah in verse 37 is, answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. The reason we carry the voice of truth is not so we can say I'm right and you're wrong. The reason we carry the voice of truth is so the hope of people's hearts is what captures us and we hope their hearts turn back to the Lord when they see the truth that we bear. Now, remember it's five miles up and then he does like a lot of trash talking and then he kills a bull and builds an altar and then he has like a serious prayer and then they chase him down five miles down. That's 10 miles and a bull. And then he goes back up, that's 15 miles. And then he prays and he prays that God would send rain. And he prays this prayer multiple times and his servant says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, that's the Lord answering the prayer. Go ahead and go. Elijah goes back down Mount Carmel. He meets a chariot, outruns the chariot. It's about six miles all total. Elijah has had a literal marathon day. Now what's the Shema? The Shema is hero Israel. The Lord is our God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Elijah loved the Lord with all his strength. 20 plus miles a sacrifice, all the things. Elijah loved the Lord his God with all his heart. Those prayers, not prayers of pride, but prayers of turn the people back. And Elijah loved the Lord his God with all his mind because when he was accused by Ahab, he didn't melt down, but he thought. And he said, no, 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 I'm not the troubler. You're the troubler. And so we fast forward to Matthew 16 where they said, hey, 
And they said, who, who, do they, who do they say I am? And some people said, well, you're like Elijah. Now that ought to give you a picture of the Jesus that you say you serve. He was a wild man. I mean, a guy bringing a revolution. A guy that wasn't about, hey, just serve whatever God you want, do what you want. No, a guy who said, eat my flesh and drink my blood and, and then turns to his own disciples, the only ones left, and he says, are you gonna leave too? And they said, well, where else would we go? And do you know what his answer was? His answer wasn't, good job, that's a good answer. He said, wanna use a devil. You're like, this, oh, he's a wild man. Like it's, like, it's like in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He's not safe, but he's good. And he is not a lion that will be tamed. And I think as we look at the world today and progressive Christianity that is softening and weakening the cross and the gospel and the message of Christ and the person of Christ, I think we ought to say, I'm, I'm not the one to blame for believing in the Jesus of the Bible and the truths that we have known for years and years and hundreds of years and thousands of years. I'm not the troubler. Now, you're the troubler. You're adding more to the brokenness than it's already broken. Like you're double breaking things. What's wrong with you? In the hopes that people say, what is wrong? I am serving a false God. And when the world looks and the world says, hey, What's wrong with you? Why do you Christians keep pushing back? Why do you keep, why do you keep trying to, to have the gospel enter every conversation and every policy and everything we do? What's wrong with you? If you just leave us alone, the world will be fine. And you said, look, if I leave you alone, the world will only get worse. Like somebody needs a voice of truth and it's, it's me and my hope is that you come back. And so I think what we see is there's this incredible pressure that's coming down on the church. And what did Jesus say in Matthew seven? He said, the road is narrow that leads to life and few find it. We just need a few more like spirit of Elijah kind of folks that are following Jesus. And I think I'm looking at them. And so Elijah goes down in history as this guy that just lived full on for the Lord. But if taught wrongly, he was just a wild man for the sake of being wild and rebellious for the sake of being rebellious and a man who was just all about hammer the truth at them. But when read correctly, he was a man who lived with reckless abandon for the Lord, foreshadowing Christ, magnifying Christ in hopes that the hearts of the people would return to God. And I think Christ, who Elijah was magnifying, lived his whole wild man life and he was a wild man in the best of ways. Not to go to the cross and say, ha, I endured the cross. Now bow and worship me. He took the wrath of God so that our hearts might be turned back to the Lord. So my encouragement for you tonight, where are you if you're a follower of Christ in the Shema? Deuteronomy 6, four through six. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The Lord has given you a platform. Elijah lived his whole life pointing towards the Messiah to come. Jesus lived his whole life to glorify the Father and to take the Father's wrath on so that you might be brought back into a right order and relationship with God the Father. And he left you. The reason you didn't get sucked into heaven when you became a Christian, if that's what you are, is because he wants to use you to be a voice of light and a voice of truth and a voice of love, even if it seems confrontational, that the hearts of others may be turned back to him. But the story doesn't end there. We'll continue it next week. The story ends after this mountaintop moment where Elijah falls into what seems like a very improbable depression that only the Spirit of God could bring him out of. So let's pray. Lord, Elijah, so strong, but not as strong as Jesus. Lord, pointing to Jesus, but not Jesus. Father, I thank you that we have Jesus who lived the strong and loving and perfect life and at times said very, very clear, hard things. Things like in John chapter six where he says, are you gonna leave too? Lord, may today be the day that we decide whom we will follow and may it be you. May you turn our hearts back to you and may we love you in return with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. It's in Jesus' name, amen.